And now for something completely different. Four, three, two, one. Hi. Welcome to the future. Remember, no guts, no galaxy. Welcome to the No Guts, No Galaxy podcast number 166. We are your hosts, Darren and Phil. Today is Tuesday, August 14th, 2018. And I'd like to say welcome to all of you listeners out there. And uh, to you, Mama Bear. How you doing, Darren? Good, good. It is time for another podcast. Obviously, we just had the recent podcast uh, about balance and gameplay with Chris and Paul. We have Paul joining us again today. And a lot of people out there know this podcast is coming. This one's all about faction warfare. And there's already a huge thread going on about this, Paul. Did you start that thread? What? How did this thread come into existence before this podcast? And welcome, Paul. Hi. Uh, yeah. This thread spawned from a discussion that we were having about doing this podcast because we're talking about the Balance podcast, saying that we're going to do a faction play podcast. And what happened was that uh, Just Call Me Ash created a thread talking about it. So I decided it's like, well, normally we'll want to release a podcast and then start getting feedback from what was said. But because the discussion had already started and there are some really good points being brought up there, I thought I'd just jump in and just say, okay, great. If you guys want to have the conversation, let's have the conversation here. But remember, the podcast is still coming, but then I'm going to correlate notes that are in this current discussion and add it to the podcast. So that's what we're doing today. Excellent. So I have in front of me two different sets of notes. Obviously, we went through the uh, the discussion, the thread that's already on there that you were just discussing. Uh, and thank you, Ash, for getting that going. And everybody else that uh, participated, we appreciate that. Um, so we have a bunch of bullet points, things that were brought up uh, multiple times, basically the stuff that was brought up most often. And, um, and then we have some other information here, Paul, and that's from you, correct? Yeah, before we started the whole thing, is like about, I'd say, four months ago, mm-hmm. we started doing the investigation into what is the next thing we're going to work on. And this is following uh, Solaris. And we were discussing, is like, well, what can we do here, here, or here? But the overwhelming notion was that faction play needs to be refreshed. Basically, it has to get some life breathe, life breathe back into it. And the big thing is that we wanted to make sure that we're not going to overload resources here uh, in the studio. But at the same time, it's like we do know that we have to make some sort of significant movement on what is currently out there. Now, that being said, I started working with the current system that we currently have. And like I mentioned, it's that we removed a lot of... um, the penalties and the taxation essentially of faction play so players are allowed to easily move back and forth between factions um, to participate in whatever kind of events were were supposed to come down the pipeline but now that they're playing out uh, people can see how this system works now i'd like to take that a little bit further right and i'll explain that later on is that it's using the current system, but not diluting. It's using the current system to get as much depth as possible, right? Without having to re-engineer like massive parts of uh, faction play. I feel like we're trying to do achieve two things. One, on one hand, we're trying to simplify things and um, 
you know, uh, consolidate. But on the other hand, also trying to add some flavor and, and, and so forth. It's a challenge to do both at the same time. But obviously, it's what we're trying to do here. Do you, do you want to start us off with something? Um, do we want to save addressing the community uh, points maybe till the end? And first, uh, do you want to kind of take us down the path of the things that you are able to do and, and know that are going to be coming down the pipeline? Well, every time I write a design doc, I write a quick little blurb at the very top of it, just saying the overview and what the impact of what the feature set's supposed to do, right? And maybe I could just read that. Absolutely, that'd right? be awesome. So I will say, one, period, overview, <laughs> period, no. <laughs> uh, Faction Play has been running for a little over four years since this last major iteration. Now, Faction Play has been running for more than four years, but... Since, Since its last, last iteration, yes. Yeah, big change. Uh, recently, we removed all penalty systems from faction play in terms of players switching their alignment and loyalty to various factions. This has proven to be a net positive in the eyes of the players, and this proposed update builds on that change. Now, when I say a net positive, I'm not saying it's like, oh my god, this is the best thing ever. I know there's still people out there who think switching factions is not ideal, right? Because it breaks down the whole idea of the loyalist path, but right. I'll touch on that here in a second. You're saying it's not a gross positive. In, in other, yes, yeah, it's absolutely. not a black and white thing. Right. Right. It's leaning towards a light gray rather than mm -hmm. towards black. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the intent of this update is to give more to the players as to what the inner sphere battle is about and the localized battles filled with, with, filled with story and decisions that faction play should contain. Uh, it's also intended not to tax current MWO resources in terms of engineering and development time, right? So this is my way of saying it's like without having to rewrite major, major systems, this new feature is meant to bring more story, more reasons why you would select the different career paths in faction play and to really uh, breathe life into the story, lore, and loyalist pathways. As much as possible, right? And and one thing I've seen consistently from the community is any amount of lore, just a little bit, uh, usually, at least by a certain subset of our player base, is highly appreciated. And, and what you're touching on is the, the challenges of, obviously, we've got a limited size team. We've got multiple projects going on with MechWarrior 5 and MWO. And then in within MWO, you've got multiple sections. you got, you know, the obviously Solaris, Faction Warfare, and regular queues. And so you've got a lot of different areas where development needs to be uh, addressed and, and uh, continued. And so it's not, you know, we have to be realistic in our expectations. But there are things, as you're saying, within uh, our current abilities that can be uh, worked on. So let's kick that off. So one of the things is that um, this document has already gone through a tech review, which is where the engineers look at it and say, yeah, this is possible. No, that's not possible. And it's been called to a point of this is what we can roll with for the feature release. Now, because this document was written a while ago and because it's already gone through tech review, Yes, we can do all this stuff. Yes, we can put it into a patch somewhere down the road. But it was really important and brought to the table for everybody who was discussing internally here was to make sure that we got community feedback on it. And that's where the thread from Ash is helping this out. Now, the intent was to have the doc written, 
podcast created, talk about the doc, and then get feedback, and then just start adding to the doc what we can. In this case, doc, doc was written, <laughs> feedback was given, <laughs> and then... Um, the community took off with the thread. Yeah, but it's not a bad thing, because no, and, it did create this giant list, well, significant list that I have here yeah. in front of us, right? The other list, yeah, which is... And, and the system can still work the way we want. I mean, obviously, we have a little bit of head start with community feedback, but now the community can uh, give some feedback directly on what you say today. So, um, yep. There'll be plenty of feedback. So starting off, uh, we have adding lore and story to conflicts. Now, this is one of the biggest feedback things I've been seeing continuously throughout all of uh, faction play community warfare's history is more lore. There was a time where Alex Gardner and myself, we would do little things using the inner sphere communications intercepts, right? And people were loving it. It's just that we had no time to continue with that stuff, right? Yeah. Now, you're the the lead designer, and I do want to – because we've talked about this before in previous podcasts. I mean, a lot I, – I, do I, can I say the majority of the lore stuff? Like the, And I'm not talking about uh, backbone game stuff, but the little – the flavor um, and the little things that have happened time to time over the years, the majority of it's been you, right? Like you're you, – you've – Yeah. Yeah. I thought so. Basically, all that little stuff, like even when we were releasing the Blood Asp and all that stuff, the you, little leaked documents yes. and stuff like that, right? That's teases all. and leaks. That's you. That's just because I got to go, come on, let's put something behind it. Let's get people excited. Let's start nerd. rumors. Nerd. Right? Nerd. Oh, nerd. Oh, no. But it's such a good thing. You guys don't understand me. Don't tell me. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know what? And, and you're right. And I totally appreciate it as well. Obviously, we have a lot of history, lore to, 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 to work from. And uh, I can understand people wanting a little bit of that flavor in the game. And recently with the events that Matt's been doing, uh, I think those have gone over really well as far as faction warfare goes. And people want to see more of it. I understand that. Yep. But the thing is, like, I'm a firm believer of getting a lot more of that in front of people. Mm -hmm. right? I mean, yeah, I get it. There's some people who just want to get in and smash max and they don't care about lore. Right. Sure. But there's a large population out there. Who wants to see the lore behind it? Why are you fighting, right? What's yeah. the net gain that you're going to get from participating? And I want to also start making a little bit more story-driven. So it's not just, here's an event, here's the blurb of why, and that's it. Right. right. I want to see consequences. I want to see um, follow-up, uh, continuation. Just basically making it kind of like be campaign driven rather than just here's some marketing events for you yeah right. no i agree and that makes it more meaningful for the players and and that's a that's a key word that i've heard quite a few times as well yeah and this is what brings up certain little aspects of what the community is requesting and what's in the document now what's in the document are things like just engineering touch points or things like i need a branching uh system that says if this condition is met then this happens if it fails then that happens right that's actually quite a significant engineering change and that's part of the driving factor of what this document is about the design doc that i have that brings into the play the engineers are like okay yeah we can do that but it's going to take quite a bit of time and here's the stuff they, they got to do 
Now, people from the community has been requesting is like, can we have it so that the event system kind of leads like breadcrumbs us through uh, right. the campaigns? Right. And that's what this system is actually being put into place for. So yes, even though you suggested is like, can we have this breadcrumbing system? Yes, it's coming into the game, right? Through nature of this kind of globalized umbrella document. And we just want to make sure that people understand is like, just because we don't use the exact terminology that you're using, it doesn't mean that that isn't taken into consideration. Sure. Right. So now uh, you're saying that the ability to do all this is, is already essentially laid out, right? Like, correct. And, and the events that, um, Matt has done recently are based on that. So it's, uh, kind of event Matt is using the, uh, marketing event tool. Okay. Right, which is not meant for this kind of stuff. And that's what I've written up is how to rewrite that event tool to allow a lot more in-depth and a lot more, I guess, granular uh, right. tracking of information or win conditions, that kind of thing. Because what Matt has right now is like he can put team one versus team two and here's the win condition. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, the win condition and then it's over. is the tug of war system or it's just some weird little uh trigger that kicks off what i need are things like well it's not about win conditions it could be things like okay i need skirmish to run for eight hours and at the end of eight hours whatever team hits a hundred wins right and when i say team i'm actually talking factions but in the code side of things it's just team sure. team two um if let's try to use factions properly if faction a wins right 100 matches within that eight, uh eight hour window it's gonna next kick off this other event that says okay because you won this one this is what the result is and this is what's happening next which right? hypothetically could be different than from what happens if team b wins yes right cool. now for example um when i was doing this document and trying to work with some of the other people who are kind of working with this system is that I clicked on a planet, found out the name of it, found out the name of uh, the ruling leader. And I said, you know what, we're going to do something really cheesy, but at the same time, just to show you an example of what we can do is that this leader's daughter gets kidnapped by the opposing faction. Now it's going to give you this uh, flavor text tells you uh, what the circumstances were, who it was, what's happening, what tensions are rising. And as a player, you will choose, well, I'm going to fight for faction A, the faction that the, I don't know, daughter was kidnapped from. That sounds and, like an inner sphere thing for sure. Yeah, definitely. Right. But yep. it's saying that, okay. I'm going to participate with faction A because I want to help get that princess back. Save right. the princess. Okay, I use the princess thing. Is this, Mario? Is this Mario? Well, the thing is, the other choice is like, no, we're going to keep her and we're going to hold her hostage and we're going to demand this, this, and this. Right? Well, the thing is, if faction A wins, right, you rescue the daughter or the princess and um, you start saying, okay, what you guys, uh, what faction B did was not tolerable. So what we're going to do is attack them, right? So this is the consequence of that first action. 
it continues the storyline, moves forward. If Faction B won that uh, eight-hour segment, right? Faction B is like, we won, but here's our conditions now. You guys are going to surrender this city, right? And that's what the next event is, surrender of the city. Now, you can sit there going, BS, I am not going to let this city fall to those guys, so I'm going to fight for Faction A again. Or Faction B is like saying, you know what? It's time to lay the smack down, so we're going to go and just eradicate uh, their d- defense forces around the main uh, palace, whatever. I love this, right? Paul. This is reminding me of like when I used to read uh, Choose Your Own Adventure books and so forth. And Well, it essentially is, right? Yeah, it is, essentially. But what I love about this is that it's so... It's. I mean, I know that there's some work here. There's some engineering time and so forth. But it seems like such a little thing that to the people that it will matter to... It will make a huge difference. They're gonna like I'm. I'm loving the way this sounds already. Well, the thing is, it's not just a story too. It can also be based on rewards. Sure. Right. So there's little things we can give out, like items we can give out, right? Uh, notation items, and I call I call them notation items. They're just a, basically like a decal or a cockpit item that says you participated in this specific event. You mean and all um, I got was this right. damn t-shirt or whatever? You exactly. Mean, um, <laughs> the pres- the princess is in another castle. <laughs> mean, I just want to clarify, um, you meant decal, right? Uh, well, okay. I guess just I can wanted... pronounce it like you Americans. Right? Stickers. The rest of the world. <laughs> Mech stickers. Okay, so... <laughs> um, so I love this. I, I feel like this is a, a great example of something that can take, you know, that's a little bit of work that's not changing, you know, insane mechanics, but will add, like I said, um, meaning uh, to a, for a lot of players. There will be still those players that just I don't care. I just want to get in and shoot stuff. But um, for those of us that appreciate that uh, and I definitely am include myself in that. Uh, this sounds very exciting. Yep. And here's the thing to is that a long long time ago i asked randall bills for a chart it's basically a matrix of all the factions right Mm -hmm. and i asked him if faction a kills a player from faction b what would their thoughts be on you so faction a would be like yeah you did awesome you killed one of those guys faction b was like you killed one of our guys we hate you and it's this uh matrix that says okay if let's talk about Steiner Davian with their little alliance that they had going on. Mm-hmm. Steiner, you're playing as Steiner, you kill somebody from Merrick. Steiner's gonna go, Yeah, that's awesome. Merrick's gonna go, You suck, we hate you. Davian is gonna go, you know, that was kind of cool. Right? So it's not like Davian is gonna sit there going, We hate you or yay, you did something. But they are gonna be kind of neutral. But they're gonna be kind of behind your back because of that alliance yeah what you're saying obviously is that we're we're talking about the federated commonwealth and even though it's uh it is um together as one that's a lot in a lot of ways it's only on the surface there's there's obviously still the split between the davian and the steiner uh, belief systems or the things that they like or dislike yeah exactly and because what we can do is add a faction rating for every single player oh nice is that you can participate in any faction conflict, right? Like if I'm Cretan and I help Merrick in that Steiner Merrick fight, right? I'm going to get a little bit of uh, Merrick uh, backing mm-hmm. as well, right? Plus, 
uh, Karita is going to sit there going, you helped one of our yes. uh, friendly neighbors, right? They're not allies, but just a friendly neighbor. And because you did that, we're going to give you some loyalty for that. So it's basically a reputation right. system. Yep. Within yeah. all the factions. Which right? is crazy this because the, the, there's a lot of factions and they're interplay between each other there's what's on the surface sometimes this is you know people always call um battletech and mech warrior kind of game of thrones in space but there's the, the there's the what's on the surface and there's what's underneath and yeah that's i mean that does seem like it's going to take a little time to to put together because um well the thing know. is we kind of already have it oh nice right it's like we do track on a per user basis what the factions think of you but the thing is is Right now, it's based on one faction liking you and you climbing right. up that line. Right. Now, this is where the whole loyalist thing can come into play, is that you're a loyalist. <clears throat> you will always fight for, let's say, Davian. Right. Right. And because you fight in all Davian conflicts, you're getting like loyalty points going up your tree, getting the ranks, getting rewards, right? getting the notoriety. But at the same time, Right now, Karita doesn't care about that. However, with this new system, Karita's going to start hating on you just because of the fact that you're just focused purely on these Davian conflicts. Gotcha. But if you have something like clan versus inner sphere com conflict, and it's between, uh, what is that, Ghost Bear and Karita, I think they're bored. In that case, if you're anyone on the inner sphere side so i'm davian i go help create a defend that uh planet davian's going to give me loyalty points uh creed is going to give me a little bit of loyalty points right and ghost bear is going to say screw you you're an idiot and just start removing any sort of loyalty from them now in right. any given event is are the at the end of the event is every um would every loyalty rating be affected or only specific ones for each event Anything involved, right? Like if it right. makes sense based on lore and the history right. of Battletech, then it'll okay. get uh, moved around in that manner. Now, one thing is that I got to get Randall to update this to include the new factions that we added, like Diamond Shark and all that. Sure. Right. But um, that's not a big issue. And we can just start tracking on a per faction base and start playing with this system. Um, now, it's not a huge thing for Loyalists, but at the same time, it's a way of saying if you stick to one faction, you're going to start climbing that tree a lot faster. And at the same time, is that we're going to be expanding on how many Loyalist ranks there are. And I know, like, right now, there's the general top rank. Which we is can 20, go, right? Yeah, rank yeah. 20. We can go beyond that and start adding some extra bigger rewards, mm -hmm. right? Because it's a long grind, mm -hmm. right? A lot yeah, of people are lot, there already. Yeah, I saw right. a lot of people bringing that up in the thread, obviously. Yep. So they wanted to either go past the number or I think some people put forward just starting over because <laughs> they yeah, they wanted the grind still. But the thing is, <clears throat> now, I'm, I'm open for this and, and I have not laid down the law saying, no, this is not going to happen. I'm just not a big fan of the whole, uh, what's that called in Call of Duty? When you reset back to zero, <laughs> you don't want to ask me any Call of Duty questions. <laughs> oh, you're talking about um, Elite or something uh, like that? No, oh, it's right there. No. Um, it's like mastery, if you will. It's like a. Yeah, I know the mechanic yeah. you're talking about, but I Once have no you idea. hit max rank, you have the choice to reset it 
then yes, a it, lot of games. It gives you a little flag saying, "Okay, this guy hit rank or yeah. rank twenty already before." EP, but he's yeah, right. But you want to do the grind again? Yes, I totally get it. I'm not a big fan of that because it's just like, well, you're just so doing everything. So many people everything. are, I know. Right? <laughs> but what if we added extra ranks? Yeah. Right. Really high elite ranks. Prestige. So when you Prestige. see some, that's, that's what it what is. is. Yeah. And if you hit that, and you see that guy in the battlefield, and he's got a special cosmetic item, or even if we put some sort of marker beside his name, right? It's like, wow, that guy is badass in faction warfare. I'm more for that kind of system, but yeah. if players are dead set about having this kind of prestige system, fine. Is right. it possible? Yeah. Is I, it possible? <laughs> totally. Dude, right. I, I never do that. Like any game that has that system, because a lot of games have that. I get up there and I'm like, I just put in like two months <laughs> to get there. Well, There's no way I'm resetting that again, because usually it unlocks stuff too along the way, and I don't want to have to unlock that crap again. Like if I were to play a game and I get up to... Master Army Sergeant General mm -hmm. guy, right? Yeah. I don't want to reset back to private. So when I drop <laughs> into a match, somebody's like, "Hey, it's a private." Right? But even us, though it right? shows, even though it shows that little prestige icon. Yeah, I know. It still says I'm a private. Yeah. Right. But that's us. But, There's other people that enjoy that. Exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, prestige in some of those games, I can see. I'm on the other side, I guess. Is like. The, the reason they have those is there's no end game, right? You get all the equipment, you get all the, you know, ooh, ahs, and it's like, okay, well, I'm just sitting there. So it's like, it's like a carrot for them. That's, that's what the prestige is. It's like, oh, hey, you know, you can get this. And, you know, so I, I, I do feel like it's an intrinsic thing as well. It's, it's giving you a goal to achieve. What allows you to progress still when sure. you've really done it all. Yeah, yeah, when you've done it all. And, you know, like, that's why I've always sort of felt like even in MWO, as far as I think there's something there. I mean, it could be unique war horn or a skin of a, you know, a camo pattern or, you know, something like that to, um, you know, toss out there saying like, hey, you're going to play this game and these game modes so much and we want you to. Um, and, you know, here, here's something that you can you can do. And uh, like I said, I can see it both ways. Like I can see your guys' perspective because um, been there, done that. Yeah, but then on the flip side, at least it gives something. Well, Paul, what is the reality of something like a, a special warhorn or skin? I mean, I know that a lot of work goes into making those. So is is that something that's possible? Well, I'll put it to you this way: a skin is quite the investment because it has to be backwards compatible with every mech. Chassis, every freaking right? mech, yeah. So it's got to be reuved for every chassis that's in the game. Uh, so when it comes to warhorn, right? Cockpit items, warhorns, decals. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sounds weird when you say. Those screen for that one. You had to really concentrate. <laughs> the cockpit items, decals, and warhorns—they're nothing to put together. Like it's yeah. just—it's—it's it's time, yes, right? But it's not the massive investment that would Dennis would Dennis say it's nothing. Uh, no, <laughs> you're taking one of my people away. All right. So, but, but you know what? I love that idea. And I know people would totally dig the, the, the custom war horns, especially, but even decals, um, you know, like the, 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 the war horns for, uh, MWOWC, everybody digs those. Now, of course those come with, Ooh, could they possibly come with benefits? Anyway, that's, that's down the line, but, uh, yeah, I love that idea of some rewards and for the people that love to, to, you know, just keep going, getting progression. Um, having a system like that, I think, would be appreciated by a lot of people. So that is adding some lore and meaning um, 
you know, obviously there'll be people out there that want to go above and beyond that or whatever. But again, as we mentioned in the balance, it's it's steps, steps at a time. And and I think that that's without adding a huge workload, that's a pretty significant update um, that I know some people appreciate it. I certainly would. Well, that's just the tip of the whole adding like story sure. and meaning. <clears throat> yeah. Because the next thing that I'd like to discuss is just adding participation choices to the conflicts, right? How do you want to participate on a... <clears throat> now, I've written it up as a per-match uh, decision point. Like, the whole thing is, like, I want to fight for faction A or B. I was originally wrote that up to say, this is on a per-match basis. So you could literally right. every match switch back and forth if you want? Yes. Is what you're th- yeah. Yeah. But... Yeah. After reading some of the feedback, like I don't want to lock people in for a long, long period of time, right? Kind of like what the old system was. However, you can do it on an event-based time limit. Right, right, right. Right. So, so for this or event or whatever. Yep. For this particular thing that's going on, I am going to lock into this faction. So I agree with the loyalists. I agree with some of the Merc unit discussion was the back and forth is like Okay, flipping back and forth between every single match just kind of dilutes the whole thing about being a fact a loyalist, and I agree with them there. Yeah, right. So it's not a big issue for me to go back and tell the engineers to say, okay, we're going to actually do this on an event-based system. All right, that sounds good. I like uh, what I'm hearing. What do we have next? Well, next I'd like to touch on the queuing system. Right now, what uh, Faction Play does is that it looks for, like, when the launch timer comes up, it just looks for teams and players to put together. There's no real sensical logic behind it. It's just saying, i got to put a match together as quickly as possible, get it done, put it out there. And it would do that for all the various buckets that were out there, all the various... um, types of queue whether it be solo or groups launching right now that's a complete mix right and i know there's people out there who want to see a separation of solo and group and i can almost say this for certainty is that we just don't have the player accounts to uh, account for that right so basically what we have is a giant melting pot right Yep. Without getting political. Now, how how is it working now? You're just saying basically everybody's being thrown in. Uh, there's no gating or, or, or tiering or whatever. It's What's... basically a giant soup of players, and there's two scoops dipped into it that only hold 12 <laughs> ounces of players nice. per scoop, right? Now and I get that's it. what it's doing. Okay, totally get that now. But the changes that I'm trying to get implemented here is a prioritization algorithm right uh yes all players are thrown into that big pot of soup but we need to add kind of like the solaris launch timer in terms of saying okay get as many players into that soup as possible right because once this time limits up i'm going to start strategically building teams so um there's a prioritization algorithm that has to be created and that's where the matchmaker does things uh, initially like sorts all the groups by size. So it's going to create this imaginary column of groups only. There's no solo players in it. And it's organized and sorted based on size. There's another column that's all the solo players, but the solo players are going to be rated by their, or ranked by their SSR ratings. Now, SSR is a totally different subject that we can touch on, 
right? But it's something that we currently have that has higher experienced players. Like I'm not saying skill, I'm saying higher experienced players uh, ranked at high to low. Now, once those two lines are, uh, sorry, two columns are created, we can sit there and say, okay, step one is that we're going to start matching teams. And that's based on team size. So if there's like three uh, 12 mans in queue, it's going to say, okay, here's match one. I have a 12 man. I'm putting it on team one. There's another 12 man. I'm putting it on team two. That match kicks off. Next match gets created. I have another 12 man in queue. Okay, it goes on team one. Team two, I don't have another 12 man, but there's a seven man sitting here. I'm going to grab that seven man, put it there. Now, this is to start alleviating the whole thing where you only have um, like a two-man and a whole bunch of pugs fighting against a 12-man. It's going to grab the biggest groups it can to match up against that 12-man. Uh, so we put a seven-man on team two. The next one is a, let's say, a four-man group. It's going to put the four-man on there. So you have a seven-man and a four-man versus 12. There's a, still a slot available on... Um, team two there's no such thing as a one person team so it's going to start a new match while the first match is still cute and start going down the list like taking the next uh biggest group putting it on team one it finds the next next group it's going to put it on team two next group team one and it's going to bounce back and forth like that until the teams are filled up if there's always a case where there's an odd number on a given team, it's going to sit there doing the team thing until it runs out of teams, and then it's going to start grabbing from uh, the uh, solo queue. And it's going to take that highest-ranked solo player, it's going to put him into that first match that's the 12-man versus the 7-4, and four, because that uh, highest-tier player should be able to um, uh, coordinate better with those two bigger uh, groups that he's with. And it'll start breaking down from there. So when you have two teams that are full of small groups and there's only like space for a couple solo players, it's going to be balancing those solo players based on their uh, SSR rating and filling teams like that. Eventually, you're going to get to a point where it's just going to be pugs versus pugs, but then you're going to be taking similar range pugs and matching them against each other. It's no more of this like, oh, there's a tier one player playing against a whole bunch of tier five players anymore. That's not going to be the case anymore. So that's what the prioritization algorithm is supposed to do, right? Which allows us to have a lot, I don't know, a lot more competitive based uh, combat going on out there. Now, one thing that we can't do without it kind of breaking or not making sense is... Uh, SSR ranking for teams. So yes, you can have a team of 12, like a group of 12 that has an average SSR ranking of 1500 versus a 12 man that has an SSR ranking of 2500. Right? That's just not going to be uh, possible to uh, do without breaking the whole notion of trying to keep teams somewhat balanced in terms of size uh, from the get-go. Because one, an organized team is always going to be able to dominate smaller groups and um, 
well, much smaller groups and solo players just because that organization isn't there, right? So the 12 mans will always be playing 12 mans. We can take a look to see if we can do some sort of SSR thing there, but it's going to kick off a match of a 12 versus 12, no matter what the conditions are, because those guys have to get a match, right? We can't sit there saying, well, the separation between team one and team two is like over a thousand points. Well, we're not going to launch them, right? Because there's no other 12 man that's uh, smaller than a thousand separation. So it's just a matter of saying, it's like, if you're a 12 man, you're or an organized group, you're going to be going up against 12 mans. And that's essentially what it's going to be going out the gate with. We will look into other ways of balancing that. But again, it's about getting this out in a timely manner with the resources that we have. All that being said, I think you know, that sort of addresses where solo players get put up against like larger groups. Um, and of course, because solos aren't going away and you, you need them to be a part of the population. But also, too, is like, I know the argument is always like, well, solo shouldn't be able to go in there. Um, I think there's a there, there's a clear warning when you click faction play. And I agree, it's tough. Um, but that being said, I, I think Darren, me and you have talked about this, which is, uh, and we've made references to a few other games, which is the end goal for faction play is for you to join a unit and participate to be able to capitalize on that organization, right? And communication aspect, not saying you can't do that uh, as a solo player, or maybe even as a, you know, of course, if you're dropping as a, as a group, uh, you're dropping buddies, but if you want to fight fire, you got to fight fire with fire sort of thing in that regard. If you want to compete against a 12 man, if you want to compete against those larger units, you also need, uh, generally speaking. Um, and so that's always true tough is to basically say like, Hey, we want you to participate. Um, uh, but solo players may run into the fact of, um, or where they currently, they run into larger groups and they just get raffle stomped and it's not fun. So at least with this, it's, a, it's recognizing that, that basically that's what you're the whole, just about that. It's recognizing that it's going to pit solos against solos, but it, there will be instances where it, it pulls solos and, and fills them in when needed. And, um, I feel like that's, that's a good compromise to the system and should set them up at least solo players because solos doesn't always mean new player some people yep. just have to drop. Anything, yeah. well right. that's the thing is like because this uh matchmaker will be pulling from the top down in terms of uh psr rating from the solo queue that means the top players are joining in on those big group fights right instead yeah. of a lower skilled player just getting stomped by the other team and the team that got that solo player is sitting there like throwing salt on his face, right? Just saying you weren't useful, blah, right? Yeah, that short, should be uh, squash significantly. Right? Yes, yeah. short of removing solo players from faction warfare, which uh, you know I I am in favor of, but I also understand why it's not going to happen. And the 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 uh, Pandora's box has already been open, and people are experiencing it, enjoying it, and they don't want it taken away. Understood. Um, but basically, the TLDR here is that this is an improvement to the matchmaking system for Faction Warfare. And uh, hopefully when the rubber meets the road, it's going to make the matches better, which it sounds to me like that's going to be the case. That at least, uh, you know, for the most part, matches are going to be more fun for the people playing playing this game mode. And, you know, there's obviously a lot of challenges, too, for a game that doesn't have a huge player base to keep this interesting but so far what i'm hearing today that's where it's heading 
the matchmaker is a big undertaking trying to tune it in any kind of way, but at the same time, it's something that has to be addressed for this new system to work. And that touches into what I'd like to co cover next is how you participate and enter this queuing system. Uh, so when it comes to participation in faction play, um, we just finished covering like how the queuing system is going to work. So the way that people enter the queue, yes, you're going to enter into one giant pool like we're talking about. <clears throat> but you're going to enter in one of three ways. You're going to participate as a freelancer or you're going to participate as a Merc unit, or you're going to participate as a Loyalist. Now, as a freelancer, you're deposited into this big pool. Freelancers cannot enter the queue in a group. You are solo players only, right? So you're the player who doesn't really care about lore, but you just want to jump in, earn C-bills. That's kind of like what a mercenary is about, but the thing is the Mercs are really about C-bill. And so that's why, as participating freelancer, uh, you cannot enter as a group. You can go into this big general pool of players. Uh, priority for freelancers will be to fill the gaps in the group queue when needed. Uh, freelancers will be matched based on SSR. And right now I'm thinking freelancers should receive a slight XP boost for every match they play. So basically it's an XP boosted path into faction play. The reason why it's with XP is that this is your chance to get, gain knowledge about team play, about how community war or faction play plays out. It's about gaining that experience, gaining that knowledge. So if you do decide to join with a Merc unit or a Loyalist unit, you're going to actually be earning XP uh, to help you customize your mechs or basically skill out your mechs and be able to participate at a much higher level when you return back as either a Merc unit or a Loyalist. Now, if you participate as a Merc unit, you're deposited into the general queue. Merc units must have a minimum of a two-man group or larger, right? Because that's what a Merc unit is about. It's about the unit play. The Merc unit participation is going to receive a small, like, let's for, say, for example, 5% C-build boost for every match they play, right? Now, this touches on something that the community brought up, and that's about rewarding unit-specific um, quests or dailies, that kind of things. And that's something we can definitely look into, and it's something that's quite appealing to me, too, is that it rewards playing with your unit. But that being said, uh, yep. participating as a loyalist. Now, this is the big thing. Now, this document is fundamentally based around loyalist gameplay and loyalist incentives. Right. Which makes sense, right? Because the people that are in the faction warfare, they're much more into the the, the lore and the story. And, you know, yeah, they usually have sides yep. that they love. Well, that's the thing is the loyalists will have more freedom than the other two uh, pathways. Because uh, the loyalists, yes, they're deposited into the general queue. Loyalists can join the general queue as a solo player or as a group. Right. So you have that option there. Uh, loyalists are going to earn LP, obviously, for their uh, titles and rewards. Um, solo loyalists, they're going to be uh, matched with the other teams and groups based on their SSR. Uh, the reward structure for loyalists needs to be drastically expanded. And by drastically, I'm not talking like 
the sun and the moon and like specific chassis just for the loyalists. But I am talking about like more LP rewards, more C bill rewards. There's mention from the community suggestions to use LP as a currency for certain items. I'm all for that as well. Right. So we'll be looking Absolutely. into that. Um, and not only that, it's the whole thing, a notion like we touched on earlier when it comes to the prestige things like, okay, can we put certain milestones in for prestiging a certain number of times, right? Mm -hmm. Then you get this fairly significant reward, right? That'd be so awesome. We'll be looking into what kind of rewards we can push down the line. Yeah. And that's pretty much how people will be participating in faction players. Right. So you've got this kind of a three tier system. You've got how, how you're going to participate, how often you can switch factions, which is like we we're talking about earlier is the event uh, duration. Going back to how the matchmaker is going to be improved. So uh, we have the one giant pool and how players are going to be distributed through that. And again, adding lore and story. Right. And to me, that's one of the bigger things to put in. Right now, there's some people out there who are going to naysay it and say this is just fluff and nobody cares. Right, but the thing is, community warfare is about that story. It is about role playing. It is about taking pride in your faction or your um, the unit that you're working with. I don't think the people that regularly play faction warfare or enjoy it are going to really say it's fluff. I think for the most part, it's going to be appreciated. I know. I appreciate it. Some people might say it's not enough or whatever, um, but that's another discussion or a discussion that will start taking place after this podcast goes live. But I feel like it's a step. Um, and, and in some ways, for some people, it's going to be a significant step. Some people are going to love the fact that the, the, the lore and the story and the meaning is being added to it. I appreciate that probably the most out of these things. But also, I think, um, you know, updating the matchmaking and uh, redefining kind of what the... Well. the roles are is pretty it's nice it's a it's a step forward it's something yeah it gives context yes like what i mean and that's that's one of the the criticisms right now of the system is like what are we doing and why are we doing it so i mean artificial or whatever someone might call it uh i mean there's plenty in the lore i mean you you can do so much between two planets or two oh, factions yeah. or and maybe there's a third part I mean, at least it gives you something and of course my big thing uh, as we were talking about earlier, which is the, you know, the solo players and group players. And obviously, uh, that's going to be an improvement. Is it, uh, I don't, you know, is it ever going to be perfect? Like you mentioned, no, but it's a hell of a lot better than what we have right now. And like Laura allows us to drive a lot, uh, more interesting events, right? Because there is such a big story and like background to battle tech that it shouldn't be hard for us to pick up something and even create stuff, right? like the whole princess thing that we went through earlier is something that's not part of lore, but it's something that can drive a narrative and something that can drive like the reasoning behind the conflicts taking place. Uh, we can also draw into bigger things. Like for example, like I'm not going to sit there and manually jump into every single match dropping long toms, but we could look at something like turtle Bay. So mm -hmm. this is atrocity of getting orbital bombardments on civilian populations. And what are we going to do about it? Right. And we can play that up. Right. But we can touch on uh, things like Turtle Bay. We can touch on things like I even want to go far back as what happened with the outbound light. Right. This explorer ship goes into Jade Falcon territory. Jade Falcon says, hey, 
that's the industry are attacking us. We're going to start stuff, right? What can we do with that? Well, obviously, we're not going to create this uh, exploring dropship or jump ship, but at the same time, it's like, is there stuff we can pull from lore and actually bring into the conflicts and explain why you're fighting in the first place? Yeah, right? absolutely. And I think that's just one of the biggest things that we can bring in. Uh, in terms of just giving some depth, giving some like notion of belonging to people. Like when I say people, I mean factions. So you have things like, why do I play as Korea? Right now, I'm going to be straight up forward with my reasonings because I'm Japanese and Korea is Japanese. Sure. Right. But at the same time, I love the um, Korea mech lineup. I love the way that Korea was kind of portrayed. So I want to be part of that. Right now, I'm going to be very frank with you. The players are right in terms of right now. What does it mean being Cretan? Well, I have a forum decal. I have colors I can pick. And yeah. So basically what I'd like to see happen is something along the lines of a faction event kicks off. And say it's between Corita and, I don't know, Davian. And there's this skirmish along the border. And it's... Davian doing something screwy to Karita. I want to have the feeling of saying, like, hey, not on my watch, right? I'm going to go in there and then I'm going to do whatever I can to actually wreck Davian. And I want Davian to be sitting there going, haha, watch what we do to Karita. Right? I want to have people have that kind of feeling behind it rather than just like, there's an event going off and there's these prizes. And that's it. Absolutely. It's, right. it's coming back to giving it meaning. Uh, meaningful and rewarding, and I think that, uh, like I said earlier, that's a step in the right direction. If I, if I may, uh, Paul, obviously that we've got uh, competitive units out there that like to play, and, and you know, um, sometimes they game the system, right? Because oh, I'm getting more rewards, I'll just jump over there. How do you do? You, how do you see those units fitting into the, into that sort of vision of yours? Well, that's the thing is like, this is what we're talking about in that feedback thread. And I brought it up a couple of times about the larger units. Um, sometimes they'll align with themselves so they don't have to fight each other. Right. Yeah. They're competitive, but they love to go out there and they just love to seal club. And I am looking for ways around this, like how to stop this. I'm still taking input on it. If people have an idea that is straightforward and something that can lock this kind of behavior down, I'd be 100% behind it, and we'll try to get it put in, right? Um, as for the current plan, it's about just allowing players to switch when they need to switch, so on a per-event basis. Hopefully, that just doesn't mean it's like, okay, we are part of XYZ company, and we have 100 active players. We're going to go for side A. And then you have all the other big, bigger units going, uh, they went side A, so we're going to go side A as well. Hopefully, if we get the uh, loyalty um, feelings down in a way that people are willing to go, you know what? I don't care if they're going to that side. We're sticking up for these guys, right? The other faction. And if that works out, then we don't really have to worry about this just purely gaming the system. Um, now, I'm going to go off on a little bit of a tangent here, and this is one of the things with gaming in general, is that a lot of design decisions that players hate, and this goes for any game, 
are based around exploits and gaming the system. If we didn't have to worry about that stuff, you wouldn't have all these weird gates, weird rules, weird restrictions. Now, there's that age-old debate about piracy, for example. And this is not a debate about piracy. I'm just explaining what has to happen from a developer's point of view, is that you have people who pirate your games. Well, companies obviously don't want them to pirate, so what did they come up with? DRM. DRM is the cause of pirating, right? And people hate DRM, <laughs> right? But at the same yeah. time, it's like, where where do you draw the line then? Most rules right? in life, what no matter gaming, non-gaming, whatever, are because of the people that would break them. You know, that's the the why we can't have nice things comment, you know? So, yeah. Yeah, right. Totally but get it. It, it kind of touches on that, right? It's like, well, we have to put in some kind of rule that helps us stop this kind of behavior because there are people who are going to deliberately go out and do that kind of behavior. Like yeah. they say they right. want a, a fight and fair fight, but then you watch and statistically they bounce around and don't act. Exactly. I've right. heard reports. That now, of course, the, we're the, not applying know. that to every comp unit in any way whatsoever. It's not a blanket statement, but that stuff does happen. It's well, actually I, a smaller but no, subset, I mean, but the, the subset is significant enough to uh, have an effect. Right. Right. Like I said, I did that shout out in that uh, feedback thread of we had this uh, clan versus clan uh, event happen. And the shout out to the units or the bigger units that absolutely said, no, we're not switching. <laughs> we're going to stick to our guns, right. to our faction, yeah. right? I don't care if there's rewards in this. We are loyal to this faction. And I was like, that's very cool. And they are bigger units. And by bigger, I mean probably top 20, top 30 type units. Sure. Right. So, yeah, that's Battletech, man. People stick to their loyalties. No doubt about it. Well, and here's where the players are right. Right. And this is what we're trying to do with this update is let's try to make that loyalty mean something. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. All right. So that's I mean, that's kind of the overarching theme, I think, of everything today is is uh, give things meaning. So I think that's a pretty good uh, summary. Now, these things, again, to reiterate, you mentioned at uh, the top of the podcast that this everything that we just discussed uh, up to this point is essentially things that have been approved or that can be done, right? That are part of that document? Yes. Yeah. So do we want to move into a little bit of the feedback that we're receiving from the community uh, on the forum thread well, that's up there now? Or what, what do you, how do you want to? Here's the thing is that I posted my notes into the forum thread, right? So I think it'd be pertinent for us to actually touch on all of them, right? Let's do it. At various levels of depth, obviously. Sure. Hopefully with that first introduction of like what the current global document is about, right? The design doc mm -hmm. is that you'll see that as we go down this list, you'll see how some of these items fall into what was already discussed, right? And can easily be made a, made part of that. In other words, there's more room on that design doc for more things if they make sense and you Exactly. Approve. Right. Oh. And we, well, and we have the time and resources to do it. Right. Yes. Right. And it fits within the scope of what you're talking about. And I feel like that's important because if someone says, oh, well, just scrap current faction play and replace it with this, you're like, well, that's not not the direction we're going. Right. In. So yes. I think that's and very important. That's so. one thing that's kind of being communicated internally, right, is that we are trying to get this within a decent time frame. And at the same time, it's like we don't want to just create one big new thing, right? We want to take fairly good sized chunks of a little bit from here, a little bit from there. Um, 
using the current systems that we have, trying to, I don't know, make them more efficient, make them more self-autonomous running. If there's stuff like we have to do, for example, maybe there's an API we can create that the players can interact with, right, and drive their own kind of events, right? right? Or uh, we can use the event system that we previously talked about and start uh, pulling in some of the suggestions that were in that thread, right, and that we're going to discuss here shortly. Now, I was thinking about labeling things as high risk, low risk, medium risk, right, but I'm not sure if we even want to go that route. Right, because there are high risk items, but at the same time, they're and low what, effort. What, is, but what does get that in, mean? Right? If, if someone's tuning in, what, what is a high risk? Well, high risk would be something considered like, okay, we can do this, right? There's a high risk that something can go wrong, right? Or there's a high risk that we do not have the resources to get this done in time. Um, high risk is something that is basically being put on the table. People look at it and they sit there going, oh my God, that's going to be a problem. This is going to be a problem, right? There's going to be a lot of big problems that have to get solved. It's not that they're insolvable. It's just that the amount of effort and the amount of uh, resources needed for it is okay. going to be like massive. You're saying like resources from like an engineer maybe or a UI standpoint or, you know. Yep. Okay. Yeah. And it's well, also not saying that an idea is not a great idea. If it's if it's high risk, that doesn't mean it's not a great idea. It just means well, that there's a lot that goes into making it happen. Let's touch on the one thing, uh, the whole uh, unit inventory thing. Now, I even mentioned this in that thread is that that is something that's not probably <laughs> 99.999% accuracy. That is not going to happen. Right. right. And it's just because of the sheer amount of back end and uh, just transaction stuff that has to get done right i mean i know there's uh crap i misplaced his name was it cheese something started with the c he went through and broke down like well you can solve it by doing this and you can solve this by doing this is like yes but all of that takes a large amount of time so it's not about the idea and it's not about the implementation it's about the amount of time and resources that we have that we can allocate to just that one bit of this update Sure, it comes right. down to business, business decisions. Exactly. Yep. Right. And I'd say about 99.98% of those business decisions are not made by me. <laughs> sure. Right. Basically, what I am going to be doing for the team and, and all this feedback that we got from the community is that I have to take every single thing that's been discussed and highlighted on uh, my note list. I have to break that down into exactly what has to get done by what kind of engineer, what kind of artist, what kind of um, designer has to go in and change stuff just for this one thing to happen. Yep. Right. Now, not to throw anybody under the bus, but there is that one person when we we're talking about the uh, more than four drop decks who said, why is there no, there's absolutely no reason why that can't happen. This will be one hour's worth of programmer's time. Right, but, right, yeah. and that <laughs> so is break so down far the reality. From the truth. Of course, right, right. There's because UI stuff, there's all kinds of stuff. One, those panels do not paginate, so you cannot have more than four displaying at one time. How do you paginate it? Because it's got to show your two current drop decks for uh, incursion, and the two for sorry invasion, and two for scouting. Uh, you got to show multiple uh, invasion decks. You got to show multiple scouting decks. How do you do that? Well, that programmer who's implementing it's not going to come up with that. The UI designer has to come in, redo that screen, come up with how you should be able to page through uh, stuff. 
Is there things like UI issues? Is there things like control issues, right? Like, do you use keyboard to move up and down a list? Do you use uh, the mouse to just use a scroll list? That'd probably be the easiest, but the thing is, you guys want like a larger number of uh, drop decks. How long do you want that scroll list to be when it's only showing two things at a time? Or do you just want to have like numbers across the tops, like you see in some modern websites when they have a carousel, where you have just one, two, three, four, five, six, right? And it goes up to however many drop decks you have, and you can be able to just click on the number, and then just shows that drop deck, sure. right? So it's got to take all of this into consideration. The amount of time that it takes to kick off a build and have it compile all the code that has to get changed is five hours per build. So engineer goes in, creates this thing. We find a bug. Well, okay, go in, find the bug. That finding the bug took us 10 minutes. So it's nice and quick. The fix for it, two minutes. Great. Five, five hours, hours later. <laughs> We can take a look at another. Build. Yeah, of, of course. I think this. Right. I mean, I think most people understand. It's not that that guy wasn't um, true to a certain extent. Maybe, maybe the programming time in an ideal scenario is three hours or two hours or whatever. But it's again, it's a limited perspective. It's going back to what I always say: you don't know what you don't know. And it doesn't make a person wrong or bad or anything like that. It's just that in all these things, there's more than just programming, or there's more than just you know, an artwork or, or whatever. It's, it's a lot of things wrapped up in a lot of time of multiple people. And those are what we were talking about earlier resources. And, and it's, yep. you know, yeah. Well, I don't want to touch on that. Right. Like I'm not here trying to sit there going, look, this guy was just wrong, wrong, right. Wrong. Of course. Right. It's just that he's misinformed. Yeah. Right. Well, he it's, doesn't, it's, you don't see all the connecting layers and connecting exactly. you know, like out right? of, and that's not his fault by any means. That's not our fault by any means, <laughs> right? It's just the it just way is development is right. Yeah, it just like, is. It's hard for even me to sit down and go through. Like, if I were to look at any one of these points on this list of suggestions, I will guarantee you that I can list off what I think is going to be required to have this change. And I'm going to have an engineer, I'm going to have an artist, or I'm going to have somebody else come up to me and go, "But what about this? What about this?" Even me with <laughs> all the tools at my fingertips right can overlook some smaller details that things get just get done right and i don't see it getting done i don't see it getting tasks on an individual basis in our task scheduler but it just gets done right and it adds to the time it adds to the scope of whatever we're talking about yeah and, right? and no matter even if a, a lead dev you know what from whatever department comes with an idea oh, or something they want to do. a horrible term, by the way. Okay. <laughs> Lead designer. No, 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 I'm no, I'm saying just any. Let's just say anybody, uh, a, a department head, comes and they have something that they want to implement. Uh, it has to go through the same process, right? You have to you have to look at every single thing that's ever brought to the table, whether it's by somebody within PGI or uh, external player dreams or whatever, and look at it through this prism of every single thing. You got to break it down exactly how many man hours, how many people. How many days? What patch it can get fit into? Because we're already working ahead of schedule. There's, you know, next month patch and the patch after that. It's all being worked on ahead of time. So there's so many things that go into sometimes things that look simple. Yep. And then there's also the QA cycle. There's also all right. the feedback, right? So yeah, it's a pretty big process just making any kind of change. But at the same time, it's like this is what this discussion is about. I want to be able to go through and let people know. It's like this is a little bit edgy, right? In terms of being able to get it done. Yep. 
right? But there's some stuff here. Uh, bring back Q counter. Now there's no space up there anymore, but we can address that, right? Can I get the UI designer to quickly take a look and say, hey, where, do, where can we put the Q counter back in uh, mm -hmm. faction play screens? Put it here. And I can go over to our UI engineer and say, can you do this? And he's going to go, well, yeah, because it was there before. Right. <laughs> right. So bang, that's something we can get done. Planet event specific map selection, for example, would be something that's a little bit larger in scope because one, that's a completely new uh, UI layout in terms of like representing what's going to be happening in the upcoming match. There's all the backend server selection stuff. The server is going to have to sit there going, okay, they've picked this uh, planet. This planet has these uh, maps assigned to it, right? Because right now the server is looking, this map is under conflict. Let me start building teams. So it doesn't care about map selection. That's new code. That's new uh, logic that has to be put in, right? Mm -hmm. And it's not just like an engineer just sits there going, okay, let me open that function and just add these map selection things in there right <laughs> right he has to actually break down like how it's going to work logically just to be clear also for for our listeners out there what's happening right now is paul's kind of going through and looking at some of the uh the bullet points that were put forward by the community in the current faction warfare thread that's on the mwo mercs forums so and and so you're kind of just kind of going through and picking some out well Kind of, because right now I'm just doing a summary of like, I just want to make sure everybody understands is like, yes, we're looking into this stuff, but it's right. not guaranteed. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Right. And I can't stress that enough. Like the ideas are great. Like I'm looking at all the ideas coming in and it's like, yeah, that's cool. That's cool. That's cool. I'll, I've looked at some ideas and went, that's really cool, but that is so huge in scope, right? That it just cannot get done. But here's the big right. thing to me that's super important right now and that everybody listening understands this is that some of these are doable, potentially. I'm not going to say, I'm, again, I can't guarantee anything for sure. If you can't, to, I can't. To be honest, there's quite a few that's doable. Okay, so that's super important to me. For the people that are saying, you know, screw this, I'm not going to say anything because nothing's going to happen anyway or whatever or being, uh, you know, pessimistic. The people that are getting in there and making comments, it's their bullet points that are on this list that are in front of us right now. And so uh, if you have something, you just never know. It may work out. So, you know, that feedback is super important and you can affect the game. Yep. Now, I suggest that we just walk through every point that's on this list, this okay. note list. Sure. And so let's start at the top. Let's make faction alignment meaningful. So let's make faction play great again <laughs> mf oh, you have to do F that yeah, thanks man that's too soon that's too close <laughs> yeah. hey i'm canadian i'm allowed to do that yeah. anyways <laughs> so item number one faction specific rewards colors bolt-ons cockpit items skins etc yes we are already talking about that yes and i think it's a great idea yep uh, i think it's easily done and i'm hoping dennis listens to this podcast because he's going to have that little vein stick out on his head <laughs> but I'll be sure to to him. <laughs> but yeah it's time consuming yes but at the same time is it worth it very much so yeah. so yes faction specific rewards will be a go excellent lp used as a currency kind of ties into that faction specific rewards right because you'll be able to instead of using c bills or mc 
use LP to buy some of those things. Mm-hmm. Right? So, yes, LP used as a currency. Story, lore, faction-driven choices to cement a desire to stay loyal. And that's what we're covering up, up above, right? Yes. Is to make sure that loyalty and your interaction choices are effective, like they mean something. And rewarded, yeah. Yeah. Uh, expand on the loyalist path drastically. <laughs> I like how I'll make that kind of a note. Drastic. Drastically. Okay, so we have planets that we'll create for each loyalist. And no. <laughs> That's um, <so> drastic. <laughs> but yes, the reward path, the reward items, the reward tree. Yes, definitely. We're going to be ex- uh, doing some big changes there. Explore on lore and global descriptions in faction play, and that's exactly what we're talking about with the storyline stuff, right? Uh, having people buy into it, understand like why you're fighting. I've talked with Russ and some other people as well. It's like you know, there's some great community writers out there who would love to like create little story arcs that can play out in faction play. There's some great ones, and hell, if you guys want to start up a new thread, it's like I volunteer, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? then we can talk about it. So, yeah. That would be fun. I know there's some great writers out there. I hope you're listening. Uh, map alterations. So, but real quick, as far as the faction alignment, uh, meaningful and rewarding, um, it looks like we're, I mean, we, we, we are seeing eye to eye. So that's awesome. All that stuff is happening. Yes. All right, carry right. on. Map alterations. Map alterations, revisit sight lines. This is things like, why can I look over the wall in Boreal or right. whatever area of a map, right? And get this sight line that allows me to say that are pecking away at the drop zones and all this, right? Yeah, let's do that. Um, <clears throat> it's time consuming, yes. Uh, John, the level designer, will have to split his time properly, but we can go in and look at the sight lines and make sure things aren't just drastically broken like that. Now, changing a path isn't just saying, okay, we're just going to smoothen this little area out here, and then that's it. No, if you smoothen an area in the CryEngine editor, you actually stretch textures, you make objects start floating, that kind of stuff. And that has to be addressed. Like, I'm not saying this is a huge amount of work, but it is just time-consuming, right? Right. And the more detailed area that you're working in, the more of this kind of stuff you have to fix. Now, will you be, as far as sight lines and pathing, will you be looking uh, to any community suggestions? Maybe they already have some ideas where, I mean, obviously they do. You've seen the, um, so that will help hopefully a little bit of the process, right? As far as finding this stuff. Well, that's another thing about the feedback thread, right? Like maybe Mm -hmm. we might want to create a separate thread, just like community warfare or sorry, faction play maps, right? Yeah. Uh, problem areas you don't have to go in there and sit there going look at these three channels they're all messed up (laughs) right right if you want to make a suggestion on changing the pathing then let us know right and the more specific exactly the more useful it's going to be right and keep in mind is that this is the same issue as like you change that terrain you're changing the uh, hit layer the collision layer right now i'll tell you this CryEngine's collision layer is nowhere near as high resolution as the visual layer. That's why in some of the maps you'll see, like, over a cresting just over a hill, you can see the other guy, but you shoot at him, and it hits this invisible wall. Polar Highlands! Right. Exactly. Right? And that's just because the hit mesh 
is not as high resolution as the render mesh. Now, if you make the hit mesh as high resolution as the um, uh, render mesh, you are going to take such a big, big performance hit. It's not going to be funny, right? And this is the fun stuff about uh, CryEngine being so CPU intensive rather than GPU intensive. Is right? that so, something that you can be Uber? Like, is that a global setting or is that more like? That's a per map setting. Per ma right? So Because guess, the bigger the map is, right, the less you can have detail. But the per smaller the map is, the more detail you can put into the collision mesh, right? So what I was wondering is like, take Polar, for example. Uh, I know we're talking about faction, but, but Polar, um, no one cares about the outside, right? As far as the, 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 the high end, what's keeping everybody inside. So that could be low res, right? Are you able to do that to where like everything else is higher res inside, but can you be selective oh, in what is high no, res or not? That is a global setting per map, ah. right? And that's engine side. That's not us sitting there going, Hey, we can't do this because we don't want to mess with these numbers. Right. It's an engine side issue. Let's move on. Yeah. Next look after at generator it. positioning. Right. Now I saw a few people going, ah, this generator's out of place, blah, blah, blah. Fine. Let's look at them. Right. Uh, the more specific you can be, the more we can address it and the faster we can address it, actually. You don't have to say, like, you should move it here. It's just that this is the problem one and this is why it's a problem. Then we can take a look at it, take a look at the sidelines, the approach lines for that kind of uh, feedback, and then make fixes from there. Next up, game modes and hooks. Okay, so we have the tug of war uh, meter at the top of the faction play screen. Now, people suggested making adjustments for less punitive win conditions and flips. Uh, what they're talking about there is when you do have the majority of the tug of war, then last minute some team comes in and just totally destroys the fact that even though you had 96% of that bar, you lost it. It's like the, la the last right. 30 minutes or whatever, right? People exactly. Bringing up. Okay. Right. So is, can we change those numbers to make them less punitive? And it's 100% yes. I mean, let's look into it. Let's find out what numbers work and we'll go from there. Right. Nice. Uh, removal. Now, this is something I noted just because of the whole event system coming in, right? The new event system coming in. Right. And some of the things the players are requesting in terms of like continuity to, between uh, matches and events. And this is something that we have to get rid of, right? Well, we can use it, but then use it specifically for a specific event. For example, two kid, yes, you can use the tug of war thing, mm -hmm. right? But for something like save the princess, we don't need the tug of war thing <laughs> at all, <laughs> right? So that's a bigger undertaking, but as I, I firmly agree that that's something that we do have to address, right? And that is something that we talked about in our tech review meetings. And it is something they're looking into. This is something that's driven by the back end, right? And the back end feeds the information to the UI front end saying, this is what has to be displayed on that screen. So if we get rid of this notion of having a tug of war for a specific event, then the back end is going to have to tell the UI not to draw this specific stuff on the screen. Right. So it is a bigger kind of thing to undertake, but at the same time, it's something we want to address and something we've got on the table right now. Sounds good. Uh, Incursion-based building health adjustments. Now, I would say probably about 70% of the feedback that I saw is in favor of this. And then there's about 30% saying, don't bother. Right. Ba basically, so a ninja group can't get in there and destroy everything. Or, exactly. Right, along those right. lines. 
Yeah. yeah. And if you are falling behind on mech count, right, you actually have a way of like trying to sustain uh, the win by protecting your base. That's something we can do. I mean, it's easy number change on a per map basis. You just run through and just say changes to this, right, and do that on every single map. But the thing is, like, we need to get like seventy percent is not a small margin, <laughs> right? Sure. But the thing is, like, I want to make sure we hit numbers that make sense, right? And I also don't want to run into that situation. I mentioned it, but people kind of not well, shot it down, but rebuted it, and they were correct in it. But at the same time, this this can happen where you're down to like your last few mechs and you're trying to blow up this base, but the base has so many hit points that you're just not getting anywhere. Right. Mm-hmm. So we've got to keep that in mind. It's not yeah, be the deciding factor, but just keep it in mind. There's a little balance there. I'm wondering the, you, you know, you said 70%. I'm wondering if the 30% that said, don't bother if they are just indifferent or do they have, or did anybody bring up a, no people were just like, no, this is not a good idea. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't like vehemently against it. It's just like, I just don't think it's going to work the way you think it's going to work kind of uh, counterattack. Did they think there'd be a negative impact? Negative impact? No, no, not okay. really. Right. Right. Uh, drop zone wall adjustments. Now, this was suggested by Ash and a few others, right? Was taking the walls in incursion, for example, pulling those outer walls that are defending the base, uh, or sorry, at the drop zones and the base. Wait a second. No, this was drop zone specific. Uh, the f- fences that guard drop zones is angle those in 45 degrees. So you get right. a little bit more cover when you're on the inside. People brought up the fact that if you do 45 degrees, you just turn that thing into a ramp where you can just jump into the <laughs> spawn point. Right. Right. Now there's uh, talk about the long Tom coming back. Well, not coming back, but using Whoa. long Tom as something, right? <laughs> long Tom's done. The long Tom, I can tell you, is 100% a toy that I get to play with and just drop it on random people. Um, Man, so <laughs> all that development money just goes to Paul. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Paul, has it, has it been, um, has any thought been in, put into, I know a suggestion I heard that was actually pretty cool was uh, sort of like other games where, and we have it out of bounds zone, whereas the attacking team wouldn't be out of bounds, uh, uh, but that would be out of bounds uh, or an area with that, that team just couldn't go to up into a point that could potentially stop. And has that well, been considered? There is that counter to that too, is that you have teams that will cower inside the drop zones, relying on the coverage of the drop ships and um, the fences, right? Now, I'm going to put this out there, touching on Long Tom, but not using Long Tom. Now, imagine a real-world military situation. Jill, you've been there. Is that for a dropship or, let's say, a military helicopter has to go in and drop off these soldiers, right? What is it about the landing zone that has to be done every single time? Right? It has to be cleared out. It has to be made it has to be secure. sure that it's safe. Secure the LZ. Right? So how about this? Five seconds or maybe 10 seconds, however much time, before a dropship comes in, we already the living snot of the drop zone. Secure the LZ. Yeah. So basically, if there's a friendly in there, if there's an enemy in there, it's going to get hammered. Right? So it's like, here it comes. You'll hear a siren or some sort of warning saying, get out of the drop zone area. 
we're about to clear it, right? In comes the artillery, boom, 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 whole bunch of explosions. That prevents people from sitting in the spawn, right? Just camping in there, just saying, okay, I don't want to go out there. I'm going to get blown up, so I'm just going to hide behind these walls. Well, you can do that, but the artillery is going to blow the living snot out of you. I like that idea. Now, I don't know if I'm missing any negative side effects, but I like it. The side effects could be, let's just say, uh, if we're talking about just regular map play or even incursion stuff, whereas sometimes it's not the drop zone right at the drop zone. Sometimes the enemy camps, you know, more towards their base, but they have the range of their playing clan or whatever to sit back at 600 and just hammer you as you drop. That'd be a sight line. Uh, Yeah. Right. Yeah. But then also... I fully agree with that, but I'm specifically talking about the drop zones themselves right? that was a, a major complaint that was brought up multiple times was people yeah. actually camping inside the drop zones that's where this whole wall thing came up yeah so, I, I don't know if you'd like to be self arty though i mean if you had a guy that was like legitimately fighting and then came back and was waiting for his team to drop off or well, else you don't have even... to stand in the drop zone to do that right you can't Maybe go find a safe place point. Because then the team's pushing out. I, I guess there's some you might have a like, bigger problem if that's the only safe space, right? I mean, if I'm playing a cicada, you know, like. <laughs> that being said, just an idea, right? Let's hear some feedback on it. Yep. Right. Uh, okay, where were we? Tug of wars, incursion base, drop zone, angle adjustment. We're touching on that, and this is why this kind of uh, side conversation came up. Mm-hmm. Uh, more reward kickers based on player behavior. Now, what a reward kicker is, is an event that says, this player performed this, give them this reward, right? Something uh, that's easy to identify is spot assist. You run out, you press R, another te- member on your team points and shoots at it, right? You get spot assist. Mm-hmm. Uh, more of those kind of rewards for player behavior, what you're doing in the game. Right. In, in a way to kind of essentially train player yes. behavior. Yeah. And the thing is, yes, we can add a bunch more of those in there, but make sure it's actually acceptable behavior. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, here's an example the kill most damage done versus kill shot. Kill most damage done rewards higher, right? Because you put a lot more effort into it. Kills most damage done, like, or sorry, just the kill shot. This is something that we had an event with before, right? And I talked with the marketing team to never do it again. (laughs) (laughs) Because what was the player behavior? Player behavior, because it was based on kill shot. Yeah. Right? Was just running around. You wait for an assault. Right. Hammering people were holding back. Yeah. And he's just pick off the last shot. Bing. Done. Rewarded. Right? Which is negative player behavior. (laughs) So (laughs) it's a matter of making sure that these kickers, these reward kickers, are encouraging proper gameplay yep right um can more be added yes definitely cool right so it's not a huge undertaking uh there are some things that a gameplay engineer is gonna have to look into Mm -hmm. as long as it's not really complex stuff like okay you target a mech somebody fires lrms at it you target another mech fires lrms at that then you go back to the previous one and it lands mm-hmm. the shot, and then it's like you get this juggling mechanic done. No, right. we, we can't do that, right? But if it's something like, okay, I am going to... Okay, here's a little thing. It's like, I'm not sure how many people know, which most people probably know, is that you can drop an artillery or a, um airstrike by aiming at a UAV, and it basically drops the airstrike right below the UAV. 
Mm-hmm. Right. So that's something that's like people can actually get rewarded for that. It's like trick shot, whatever. Yeah. Right. Or trick targeting, whatever. Right. That's the kind of stuff. Yes, we can look into and get added. Cool. Now we already uh, talked about um, the Q count, bringing that back. Uh, yeah. We talked about that previously, and that, that that's yeah. possible. Yes, that's because yes. we did that little side discussion. Uh, same exactly. as the planet event specific map selection. Mm-hmm. Now, this is something that would have to get some major back end work, right? But I, th- like, I think we can do it. The amount of work involved, I'm not sure. But I can see it saying, okay, if you click on this planet, right, here's what the event system is telling you. It's like, this is the planet that's in contention. These are the factions that are involved. And here's a list of maps that you can use for this conflict. And when it comes to the event-specific stuff, right, it's like, maybe this is taking place on a desert planet, and the only map that should be in rotation is Canyon Network. Yep. Right. So, that's so it does this. add something. It's it's adding flavor, making maps maybe a little bit more special, and 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 yep. maybe getting to see some maps that you wouldn't see otherwise. I like that. And it plays towards the event too, right? Sure. Because if we're talking about playing on this, mm-hmm. okay, we're play fighting over the planes of this planet, right? Then why the hell is Alpine in there? Okay. Uh, objective play reward increase. Now this is something that's a little bit hard to do. We did do it. Right. We didn't push the uh, numbers up that high, but we did increase the rewards based on completing objectives based on the game mode. Mm-hmm. Uh, increasing that, yeah, we can do that. Right. The trick is not to, is to not inflate the economy, but at the same time, yeah. it's like there's room there to move up a bit more, so we can do that. Uh, conquest score adjustment. Now I'm getting. Like all kinds of feedbacks from both directions. Like, yes, increase it. No, don't increase it. Or increase it drastically. Or <laughs> So it's one of those dividing subjects. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like right now it's 1500, right? Mm-hmm. If we bump it up to 1750, is that going to break it? I don't right. think it'll break it. 2000 is sounds like it might be a bit high, right? But 1750, is that the middle ground that people can agree on? It's, it's tough because I've talked a lot about this on the podcast um, and asking people uh, or during my streams and you have people that are basically like, no, MechWarrior is a PvP game. That's all I care about is a player versus player. Even if it's Assault or Conquest, I don't really care. Uh, it shouldn't be equal, right? You should earn more from killing the mechs. And on the flip side, though, some of these other outlets for mechs or conditions, let's just say wind conditions happening. Um, for instance, uh, Assault or even Conquest, you'd rather just go and kill the mechs because you're going to earn more. And so I feel like there's there's the, the key point for me, at least, the takeaway is you should be able to earn more potentially by winning. Well, that's based objective on the play reward increases. That right, was the yeah. previous point. <laughs> this right. is just about Conquest score adjustment. Right, like the winning condition for conquest. Well, anyway, the way we're addressing this list <laughs> is that some of you know, again, some of these I are possible, some of these are not. Like, yeah. So that's something that is possible, right? It is very doesn't possible. Mean, doesn't mean it's going to happen, but more discussion well, can happen to determine. It can happen. I mm-hmm. just need to find a number that makes everybody happy because two thousand might, like, like Phil was just mentioning. Yeah. Two thousand might push it into the range of just like 
why bother? Just kill the other team. Yeah. Right. And it, and it may be that it needs to sit right where it's at. If the if the feedback is 50-50, then eh, I don't know. But anyway, what, what, not is my the job. Player, what would be the player behavior if you did a slight boost? Is it going to change anything? So if anything, if it doesn't change a whole lot, then when they're... It gives you the chance to recover from a mistake. Right. So that, right. that's what I'm saying is like... So... But again, is that an acceptable thing, right? If you made a mistake, should that be a black and white win-loss condition? Or if you make a mistake, there's a slight window where you can actually recover from that. But let's let the players discuss this in the thread. Yep. Next one. Adjust launch countdown. So this is allowing players to have a little bit more time uh, organizing themselves. Right? right. And that's a number change. Not hard to do. Bio right. breaks, et cetera, yeah. Is I started the conversation in that uh, feedback thread by just call me Ash. Mm-hmm. Um, how long do you want it to be? Right? What's too long? Right? So that's what I got to find out. But changing the number is something you can easily do. Yeah. Uh, earlier win conditions based on team destruction, like stomps. Now, this is an interesting one. I don't think it's a huge undertaking, it requires a gameplay engineer. Right, but at the same time, is that what do you consider a stomp? Right? Yeah, like obviously at, there will be what some point. Should we stop the gameplay? Right. I mean, you can definitely say yes, that was a stomp that I just saw, but that line, finding that line, is going to be the difficult part because you'll have yeah. some people that will be like, "No, don't," you know, "I we can do this still," and you know, and yeah, yep, like it's a double-edged sword, right? Mm-hmm. Because you have the attackers like. No, I want to get more C bills and everything because um, I'm destroying components. I'm blowing mechs apart, right? Then you have the defenders, and you have some defenders like I don't want to sit here. Pessimistic defenders, (laughs) yeah. I don't want to sit here getting my head stomped in, right? This is stupid. Let me surrender now. Or others that are like it's a PvP online game, right? Yeah. Why do you surrender? (laughs) <laughs> mm-hmm. right but at the same time i i'll agree with players out there is that it can be somewhat daunting to sit there and just knowing that you are not going to win no matter what you do right right and this matter finally like where do you draw that line yeah right so i'm going to need some more feedback on that as to where you do draw that line well, definitely and, worth discussing and how you, know, you deal with it not only where you draw the line but how you deal with it and then also like i've seen this in other games and paul i, I know you, you mentioned dota and stuff uh when we have conversations like we're voting system or something yeah that, where you no, get into a match funny. and just like two guys and, and you see this in mw unfortunately sometimes you just get matched up with teammates and they're like oh you know what the hell screw this and they would just bounce so they'll drop out or they would just you know like surrender just because and that that's one thing where you can if it can be abused it's one of those like slippery slopes i I do agree that obviously it would suck if you're just sitting there and it's there's no way hope of winning or whatever but um that that is one of those like pieces where i'm always hesitant you know in that conversation because how many times does that really happen especially with the changes that we're talking about you're right because the the feeling right now is those are based off what's currently in faction play does any of the changes that are going to be going in change that? I don't know. That's a good. I mean, it's a good question. It's a good like topic. It's just one of those where, hmm, what, what, would there be any negative behavior coming out of this? You know, uh, there could. Not not to focus on that. I'm just saying, well, no. Like, this is a, it's possible. Like I'll say this in 
World of Warcraft in a game called There in another game, Team Fortress. I used to be one of the trolliest bastards playing the game. Right. And it was about you how troll? can I break this? What? How can I take advantage of this? How can I exploit this? And as I grew out of that, that was back in my like late teens, early twenties. Um, so that was like fifty years ago. <laughs> um no, like it's about how you can break stuff, right? And how is it gonna get exploited? And when you have a system that where you can surrender, essentially, right? It's like somebody's having a bad match, well, I'm surrendering. I'm going to screw over the entire team by making us go down, right? Because one of the funny things is that Dota's uh, surrender uh, trigger is by typing GG in chat. Oh, really? <laughs> nice. And I would love to sneak Ninja that into the <laughs> MetCorey online. <laughs> oh, that would be a fun day. GG or WP will automatically right. end the match. <laughs> but... um yeah, people can exploit that. People can do it just to annoy the teammates, right? Um, the percentage I, of people out there doing that is not going to be high, right? But it will happen. But at the same time, it's like if we make it automated, which is even harder to do, but, well, it's not hard to do. It's harder to do correctly to make sure that it's covering all the um, bases of what is considered a valid surrender situation. Isn't the most common system like a player chat vote? I mean, that seems to yep. be what I've seen in most. Yeah. Yeah. And then that's another thing is that our game client does not read chat, right? There's no parsing system in there. Mm -hmm. Yes, there's a bad word filter, right? right? There it'll mark up stuff in, in your chat. Then CSRs can open up your game and say, oh, I see what you said. Right. So stop swearing in games. Uh, <laughs> like to apologize when it happens. So. <laughs> um, I had no idea I was being recorded. Um, yeah, and if it gets successfully bad, we turn on your webcam. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you want to do that. Mine's pointing at the ceiling. Yeah. <laughs> Bill doesn't right, really one, wear next pants. One. Let's move what? on. Let's move on. Okay. So where were you? Uh, early win condition. Okay, that's the team's stomp issue. Yep. Is we can look into it, but again, we're going to have to find some sort of magic number that works for everybody. Sure. Uh, call to arms timer change. Now, this is something that was mentioned where the call to arms is going off in the last two minutes before a match kicks off. Uh, some PRO suggestions like, well, put it at the front. Like, as soon as the match starts to kick off, well, send out the call to arms, get people in there faster. And I explained the reason why it's on the tail end is to allow players who are active in faction play sitting there waiting for a match to get priority queuing. Yeah, they get first rights. Right. Yeah. And then we allow uh, the pugs and people who are just like, oh, hey, there's something going on. I'll go join in. Right. They get lower priority queuing. There's no problem for us to increase the amount of time, like make that pop up earlier. Right. It's just that we'd like to refrain from making it front loaded. Right. So that's something we can look into. And if it's back loaded, how early do you want that to go up before players from just wherever get pulled in? Yep. Right. So another point of discussion. Uh, Unit-based objectives. Now, this is something that would require a, quite a bit of work, but at the same time, I see this as something that's like really, really cool. Right. What would be an example of a unit-based objective? A unit daily, right? Here's a simple nice. thing. Nice. 
play three matches in community warfare. Right. Right. If you do that, your unit earns X amount of C bills into their coffer. I like that. Right. Or maybe it's MC, maybe it's whatever. Um, just touching on that, right? I've seen a lot of requests for uh, rewards to be MC based. Mm-hmm. Now, as a free to play title, you have to be very, very careful on how you um, distribute uh, the hard currency. That's the Le- legality term. wise, well, right? It's- legally wise and yeah. the way that you monetize, basically, right? Right. And there's two terms used in the free-to-play um, market. It's called hard currency versus soft currency. Soft currency mm-hmm. is things like C-bills, LP, XP, right. that kind of stuff. Uh, hard currency is the actual real-world money to an in-game currency. Uh-huh. right? And that's just a very, very scary place to start just kind of throwing things around. Like, it's not large amounts that they're asking for. I understand that. But at the same time, it's still something that's going to be kind of tough to play with. If you take thousands of people, all of a sudden getting an influx of MC, there yep. potentially could be effects to the yeah, Well, here's the an example. Uh, you have a small laser in one of those supply crates, right? Somebody can turn around and sell that for, let's say, 5,000 C-bills. Okay, that's 5,000 C-bills to that one player. Times that by everybody who's got a supply crate. Mm-hmm. Right, and that's how much it affects the uh, the in-game economy. Right, so it sounds cheap as you, as a singular player, getting that item, and you only get five thousand C bills for it. But from a global economy point, is that that's happening every single day, right? With every yeah. single supply crate. Yep. Right. So that being said, uh, unit-based objectives. Now. Can we do it? And like I said, this is a fairly big undertaking. I'm not sure if we can, but I'm going to really push on this one, right? Whether it be a daily, whether it be an actual quest system, right? Yeah. Or it could be like complete this event chain, like this campaign. Yeah, I was just going to say it could be multiple things that, right? yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of uh, potential there. I think it's a great idea, mm-hmm. but obviously it takes some work. Yep. Yep. So it's just a matter of saying, can we get it done? What's the implementation cost to it? Yeah. Right. I love that and it encourages group play and, and becoming well, part of it. That's group. what I love about it too. Yeah. Right. Like it just makes sense. Yeah. Uh, queuing integrated into looking for group. Now this is something I'm not a hundred percent sure if we can even do. Right. But it is interesting. And I do have to get engineers to look at it and see if it is possible. Right. And that's saying things like, if you're in a solo, you're a solo player and you want to play in faction play, it instantly puts you into looking for a group, mm. right? So it starts mm-hmm. the whole group mentality, getting people together, right? Mm-hmm. Talk about your strategic, uh, strategies, strategies, <laughs> strategies. <laughs> Talk about your strats. Yep. Get ready for a drop and go. Right. So yeah, something definitely worth looking into, and uh, I have to get a tech review done on that. Cool. Reward group play at a higher level than solo. I can see what you're trying to do here. You're trying to encourage group play over solo play, right? This... Isn't that when you get winning? <laughs> yeah. I mean, really. I mean, really. That's the benefit, yes. right? Communication, organization. Groups, ROP. Yeah, I, 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 I see the direction, but I just don't know if that's the right. Because that would just be abused. Because all the units that are, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Or, you're a 12 man group is like, well, let's maximize rewards by breaking into six, two men. Right. 
Well, you might not nice. play together, but at the same time, you're getting group play rewards, right? I mean, the whole idea about faction play really ultimately is to be a part of a unit. Yes. So Well, maybe uh, the feedback can flesh this idea yeah, out more to something that can work. But I'm going to yeah. be like, shut up, Phil. You don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I'm sure people say that to everything I say. Let's do the next one. Okay, scouting mode and conditions investigation. Okay, so this is the whole problem of diving. Right. Now, I'll admit that at the start of scouting mode, that diving mechanic was pretty fun and pretty funny to watch. Right. Like oh, it's sure. a matter of timing. You got to shut yourself down in just the right spot, hoping and praying they don't see you and just running for it last second. Right. You see some very last second dives that are just like, wow. <laughs> Insane. <laughs> Great yeah. work. Right. But at the same time, that is not the main objective of what this game mode is supposed to be. Right. So we can look into how to fix that. I'm open to suggestions. I'll start coming up with some of my own. Uh, see if we can come to common ground. And if we do, let's put it in. Uh, rewards for call to arms participation. This is kind of interesting, right? It's like, do we incentivize that call to arms, right? You're not totally invested into faction play, but hey, if you're willing to fill a spot, jump in. Mm -hmm. Let's mm -hmm. give you some little shinies. Yeah, right? so, sounds interesting. Yeah, it's easy to investigate, and sure. we'll take a look into it. Uh, Battlefield-based tonnage restrictions. This is going to be a tough, tough one. Right, because one, we don't know which map you're dropping into until you're connected to a dedicated server, which mm -hmm. means the match is about to kick off. Mm -hmm. Right? How do we base restrictions? Yeah, like your tonnage restrictions based on that. So this one, I would have to say, is almost high risk, a no-go kind of situation. <laughs> Super high risk. Right. I mean, I'll go bat. I don't mind doing that. It's just saying, hey, right. engineers, take a look at this. What do you think? Right, and they're gonna turn blue, and then I'm gonna have to <laughs> apologize, and then we move on. I was on. just kidding. I was just kidding. <laughs> it was just a joke. Uh, April yeah. Fools. Uh, okay, system updates. More than four drop decks. Now we kind of touched on this, but at yeah. the same time, is that I don't think it's a big problem. Right. Mm -hmm. It just takes a little bit of time to investigate how long it's going to take to get done. A little bit more than just a few hours of programming. Yep. Yep. Voip prior to drop. Now I have some. Good news and bad news. <laughs> bad news is that you're not going to get it weighed in advance of the drop. Yeah. But there is that window that's just before you drop into a match. Right. You're kind of sitting in the lobby and the other team is being built. Yep. And that there would be the time. There is a chance to bring Boyp up, up into that state. I like that. So it's people allowing start, you to, yeah, yeah. People can start talking about their strategies. Well, and you can, if, yeah, and if you have some solo players and you're part of a group, you can start informing them of what you're... Yeah, exactly. I, yep. Yeah. Okay. Uh, UI, refresh on friends list is a go. Favorites on friends list is something I still have to get uh, approved, but it doesn't sound like a huge undertaking. Cool. Status indicator. Now, this is something that is not like high risk, but at the same time, we have to look into exactly what has to get done because now the server has to send information about clients, like everybody's individual client as to what state they're in, right? And that's something that's not happening right now. Online, offline, that's a state, yes. Mm -hmm. But what game mode are they in? What kind of mm -hmm. queue are they in? That is not anywhere near in the system. Right. So again, it's an investigation, but again, more than willing to go up the bat and say, hey, guys, what do you think? All right. Right. 
coffers, unit management, taxation, removal, change. We have no problem removing that taxation, right? Um, it's about big units right now, the biggest units. I mean, I took a look at the metric pole and you have, yeah, you can have units out there that have like 200 members in it. Mm -hmm. right? How many active players do they have in it? Mm -hmm. 40, right? So it's not like these huge, huge units are a big problem right now. Right. I mean, if faction play becomes really popular again, it might become an issue that we'd have to address later. But for now, we don't have to. And removing that tax, like inviting a new player into your unit, we can get rid of that. C-bill transfer between players. Now, this opens up that whole nightmare of uh, gold farming, essentially. Right. Which is something we do not. And it actually seriously harms free-to-play games. <clears throat> but at the same time, is that we had a discussion just yesterday with some of the players in that thread and some of the ideas were thrown around. It's like, okay, well, my first initial pitch was you have to be in the unit for X number of days, right? Before you can be eligible to receive Siebel transfers. Now, while that works in terms of like, it makes it very inconvenient for gold sellers to do this kind of stuff. Right. But at the same time, it's like it kind of penalizes the player. Right. Mm -hmm. So some of the suggestions that were brought up is like, well, what about a drop limit? Like you have to drop X number of times with the unit in order to be um, C-Bill eligible. Right. And to me, that makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. Look into that, right? Discussion, it, the magic of discussion. If it's 20 matches or however many matches, right? And you get this flag set on your accounts that you can now receive C-Bills and it's up to the unit leaders to sit there saying, okay, you can take this many C-Bills. Right. Or he gives you that many C bills. Right. There is some back and forth about the notion of almost like a loan based system, but again, that touches on an inventory system that I cannot run down the road of. Right. I can tell you straight out that I'm going to have engineers just going, no, 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 no. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, it's like, okay, are there any other conditions? Well, yeah, those 20 matches should be done in vacuum play. It's not like you can go out and play 20 solo ma or <laughs> Solaris matches mm -hmm. with a unit member and get this thing done really quickly. No, right. that's not going to happen. Right. It's going to be played in faction play. Do you have to play with anybody in the unit? Or should it be the officer level? Or should it be the group unit leader? I'm suggesting going with the officer level because you want to make those ranks mean something. Yeah. Right. And one of the feedback uh, members were saying, it's like, yeah, we have guys who are trainers, right? And if they play with the they vet 20 new players, yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's what, yeah, I've done that in every single play year. Play with I've those guys. In. Yep. Right? Bang. Yep. There you go. You get the C bill transfer option. So that is totally open for discussion. It is also open for implementation. What the requirements are going to be for that, I don't think it's going to be too big because you kind of do that with the MC that's currently ticking off of planets that you have your tags on. Yeah, so it's not going to be a huge undertaking. You just got to see what the impact's going to be using C-Bills. Cool. And the last one on the note list, tool for players to enter planetary data. Love the idea. Have one, one thing. Can I trust... <laughs> You faction play bastards out there, not to put stuff in there <laughs> that shouldn't be in there. No. Right. What, what, we were, <laughs> what we were discussing earlier, the rules are always in place because of you guys. But but obviously, 
maybe there's ways around that. Yeah, there's ways around it. We right. can make it a private tool that only certain whitelisted players have access to. Or right? something. Yeah. Discuss. Right. Like I can only imagine what somebody's going to plug into Cook and Pleasure Plant Pit and all that stuff. <laughs> right. The, the problem is the references that you just don't quite get. The ones that slip by. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where they say something totally lore based that goes totally over my head and like, yeah, right. that's cool. Meanwhile, yeah. everybody's like, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yes. So that's something I'd actually have to look into because that's a interface between the database systems and the web server systems. Right. And that's not an easy bridge gap, especially when it comes to uh, data in- entry. But at the same time, let's take a look at it. I'll talk to Jamie, our web guy. I'll talk to Darren, our database guy, and see if they can talk to each other. Sounds good. There's so that, a lot. There's a lot to digest there. Just FYI, there's a ton. Well, there, and there's a lot to edit. You guys just gave me so much work, but it's cool. We went through that. Um, I mean, we went through the your document, Paul, with the stuff that's already basically being implemented in some time in the near future. And then we covered everything that is in the uh, community's request in the, the thread up to this point, most most of it anyway, the stuff that was brought up uh, multiple times. And so this brings us to basically a point where there's a lot of stuff being done, maybe not, you know, huge new features or whatever, but what I like, it's, you know, it's polish, it's, um, it's uh, you know, quality of life improvements. And then we're going to be able to talk about more because there's, like you said, there's more room on the dock. So... This is where we want well, to begin part two of the discussion, right? There is also one more thing I want to talk about. Oh, sorry. I didn't and so. No, no. This is just something that is in the thread, but it's not on mm-hmm. my note list here. Yep. Right. Is gating access to faction play. Right. New players. That's a touchy one, right? Yeah, it is. I mean, I get it. Right. Mm-hmm. Like we even mentioned when you're first launching into faction play, this is for experienced players, blah, blah, blah. You, Mr. Experienced Player, Darren. Yep. You've been playing Faction Play since day one. Blah. You're trying to get your buddy to join MechWarrior Online. Mm-hmm. He joins in and you're like, yeah, let's go play Faction Play. Well, guess what? He's not going to be able to play until he plays 20 matches or however many matches of quick play. Yep. yep. How do you feel about that? Should you be able to pull somebody brand new in trial mechs into Faction Play? Yeah, I, I guarantee there's going to be all kinds of different perspectives on this subject matter. I've already seen it. I, I would guess that m- the faction players, the people that are currently playing, would lean more towards gating it. But I think there are inherent issues with that, and it's not just a uh, a black and white easy issue. Exactly. Like, yeah. I personally, right, this is not the opinion of Prana Games and all, mm-hmm. all that other stuff, right? Mm-hmm. But personally, I do lean towards that. It's like, yeah, this is a team-oriented, team-focused game mode, yeah. right? That is about playing in the inner sphere and playing in that giant conflict that's going on out there. And somebody who's coming in with trial max, who doesn't know the controls very well, who doesn't know how to, I don't know, engage the enemy very well, you should actually go into quick play, play a few matches, get used to the game, get used to controlling at least, maybe even owning one or two mechs, right? At least having some uh, idea of like what it's required to own a mech, yeah. scale it up to make sure that you've got all your dots, I's, 
eyes dotted t's eyes dotted <laughs> yeah anyways yes. your <laughs> you letters your, done correctly you have your poop in a pile <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh before you enter faction play yeah so let's throw that out there what do you guys think Right. I think there's like this ideal trajectory that in your mind where you'd want to see somebody come in and start with solo play, then find some friends, do group play, then try maybe Solaris or go into faction play. But I see it time and time again with new streamers coming in or whatever. They'll just say, oh, it's this faction play thing and they'll jump right in there um, and people won't do the ideal trajectory. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of room for discussion. I there. think gating is perfectly reasonable. I think it detracts from the people participating in faction play if you're bringing in literally a brand new player yeah. and then on top of that brand new players even though they get a warning they just do it and it takes away from their experience because they're like oh fuck that i'm never touching that again well and it's it, windows install syndrome right right I call it as oh, well you just right? clicking like, next you don't yep. yeah. read anything you just next 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 and, and yeah. then of course the experience the other people on the team and then you know it leads to yeah so I, I think it's reasonable to say like 20, 50 matches or whatever. Like the, the player should have X amount of time in the game. Now, th that doesn't mean there'll be X skill level. Just means you have enough matches in the game, time in the game, experience to at least understand what's going on. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think it's crazy at all. And uh, yes, the argument can be made. Well, I'm going to bring a friend in or, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'll walk him through. Well, you're, you, detracting from the overall experience and what kind of friend take him in a quick play and you know what kind of mech bro are you come on don't don't toss him in the deep end that's a deep that's what it is it's like hey oh you don't know how to swim oh don't worry and just th throw him in but like that's you, how, you'll that's figure how it my out. dad taught me how to swim right? but anyway can we wrap this up guys no <laughs> no i want to i want to pass the baton right, onto right. the community is what so i want to do well, next up, okay. I'd just like to talk about this pie recipe that I found. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Paul, I can I can never picture you as a troll. I don't know what you're talking about. In your youth, you were you a troll. You can't. Oh man. <laughs> Thank you, Paul, for taking. Can I the tell time, the side man. story? Yeah. <laughs> the whole thing about being trolly and stuff. Mm -hmm. Back in Vanilla Wild, pets were not uh, baseline pets like. They had different attributes, different skills, different little buffs that they all had. Right. Right. There was a, was it a pig or was it a wolf? It was some sort of animal, mm -hmm. right, that would wander the plains just below Thunder Bluff, the Torrin starting city. Was it a unique one? Yes. Yeah. And it would spawn once every hour. Right. Right. And it'd only walk around for 10 minutes, then despawn. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alliance players would really love it because it was one of the best level 10 uh, pets that you could ever have, right? right? So Alliance players were running all the way from Alliance territory into this area trying to get this pet, right? <laughs> I would sit there and wait for Alliance players to come running across the field and you could see them normally dismiss their pet, which means they've basically said, okay, I have no pet anymore. Right. So I'm going to tame this one, one yeah. right? <laughs> they dismiss so you knew the pet. they were vulnerable. Right? I step out from behind the tree and crit shot him. <laughs> Boom, dead. <laughs> right? Oh, Paul. So they have to respawn at the nearest graveyard. Yeah. Takes a little while for them to get back. Okay. Yep. Now they're back. <laughs> what do I do? I kill the spawn. <laughs> <laughs> so now they can't do it. Now they can't tame it for another hour. <laughs> right? Dude, I I have 
so similar stories with EverQuest. I was a bit of a troll with EverQuest when it first came out. I'm you not going to tell my stories. So, yeah, I was, I, was, I was such an asshole in EverQuest. And not to mention you guys are horrible people. Like, I'm a nerd, but you guys are, like, super nerds. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Like, I did that one day. Like, I didn't sit there for days and days and days doing it. I did this for one day. And I did it about four or five times. And I just felt so bad doing it. That that I was like, right? okay, I got to stop. I can't do yeah. this, right? I just felt so bad. Because it took, like, a half an hour to run from <laughs> Alliance territory into um, Horde territory. And yep. then you got to wait an hour for this thing to spawn, and then I kill it. <laughs> I would just train a bunch of super high-level mobs onto into an area full of low-level people. Like you, it, it was totally exploitable in EverQuest. So I'd I'd be a high-level character, and I'd just train these giants or whatever to run along a beach, and just they would demolish everybody in the path. <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, I can't believe I just uh, anyway. Yeah, I was I was an a-hole back then, but yeah. I've changed. Yes, me too. Or I haven't. Some people think I still am. But anyway, thank you, Paul, for spending this. This was a very long podcast after just done, doing a podcast uh, that's two in a row. And we spent a lot of time on this today, um, Faction Play. So uh, we will be looking forward to the – is this going to be a new thread that we're going to start as far as feedback for this? Yes. Yeah, because if I continue on with the old thread <laughs> – People who are listening to this podcast do right. not know what was said in the old thread. So no. it's best to summarize what's been going on since then, right? Yeah. At the start of a new thread, so people can just start talking on the new information. Which will be mostly what we discussed at the second half of this podcast. Yep. So that uh, well, breakdown. Even the first part. Yeah. Right? Because the first point. part covered areas that weren't yeah. discussed in the discussion. So a breakdown of everything that we went through here will be up on the uh, mwmerks.com forum and we'll start a new uh, discussion thread where we'll get your feedback and if possible, as Paul said, it can be implemented into uh, the changes that are coming somewhat soon. So any uh, any parting words, Paul, before we go? No more uh, no more vanilla WoW stories or EverQuest. <laughs> well, this one time in Counter-Strike? No. Um, <laughs> No, that's good. Let's get the discussion moving, right? So we can get moving forward on implementation. Cool. Phil? Um, yeah, obviously, I know we talked about uh, balance with you and Chris and uh, you guys, uh, uh, the community, uh, listened and responded. We will be doing another one after the next PTS as well. So stay tuned on that. Uh, that actually, one. that's a good point. So that that the discussion thread for the balance and PTS is ongoing right now. Mm -hmm. um, so people should head out if, if you have interest in that as well. Head over there, give some feedback, join the discussion. And like Phil just said, there will be a follow up podcast where we'll discuss the feedback that's happened between the podcast and the next podcast. So very good point. We want to continue this uh, discussion and dialogue, I'll let you guys know. Uh, where Paul and Chris are going and what ideas are being snatched up, just like this conversation um, and working with you guys and finding solutions. Um, so, yeah, I just want to say thank you again, uh, Paul. This podcast is supported by you, the viewer. Please consider supporting us in a variety of ways. You can subscribe to our Twitch channel. You can become a patron. Uh, you can also shop on Amazon using our affiliate link. Uh, and all those really do help us. Just want to say thank you for considering it. And of course, uh, shout outs if you do use it. Thank you. And you can find most of that stuff at our website at nogutsnogalaxy.net. Or you can find us on Twitch at NGNGTV, YouTube at NoGutsNoGalaxyTV, Twitter at NoGutsNoGalaxy. Facebook 
at No Guts No Galaxy Podcasts and SoundCloud at No Guts No Galaxy. This was your local No Guts No Galaxy MechWare podcast. Signing off for tonight. This is Phil. And this is Darren. Until next time, Mech Warriors. It'd be best if you avoid me. But I know you probably can't. You sense something is wrong with me. You can feel it on my skin. But there is more with Just a little off The truth is at one time I was But now I'm a robot Forever